So make your way to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5 this morning. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So yes, this morning, this Christmas story found in Philippians chapter 2. The Christmas story can become so common to us that we are in danger of missing the awe of what took place. So I'm glad we're talking about Christmas in October because come Christmas, we often get pretty distracted, don't we? So how about we focus a little this morning on the Christmas story? Instead of looking at the familiar passages from the perspectives of shepherds or Mary and Joseph or the wise men or even the Old Testament prophets, we are going to focus on the humility of Christ. The word literally carries the idea of how he stooped down. What Jesus did for us over 2,000 years ago when he took on flesh and was born in a stable, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through heaven, 5 through 11, is perhaps the most profound statement of the Christmas story anywhere in the Word of God. Circle it. Remind yourself of the importance of what took place during Christmas. This morning, we want to take a look at the gift. He is Jesus. Because Jesus is the very present that none of us deserve. Philippians gives us a portrait of Jesus to be maintained for all Christ followers every single day that we desire to live for him. I love what Adrian Rogers, Dr. Adrian Rogers wrote specifically regarding this passage of Scripture. 
He's a pastor, an author, a theologian. He's no longer alive, but has many wise things to say. Dr. Adrian Rogers wrote this regarding this passage. He says, to explain him, meaning Jesus, is impossible. To ignore him is disastrous. To reject him is fatal. My speech is too limited to describe him. My mind is too small to comprehend him. And my heart is inadequate to fully contain this one whose name is Jesus. This morning, consider in this Christmas preview the portrait of Jesus that every follower of Christ needs so that they can walk with Him, so that they can live for Him. Keep this portrait found in the verses 6 through 11. So this morning, the first thing that I need you to see is the divine nature that Paul expresses in our verses this morning. Specifically found in verse 6. Divine nature just means that he's God. Jesus is God. That's what divine nature means. His deity. So look at verse 6 with me. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus is in the form of God, or some of your translations say, being in the form of God. The word being, or in the form of, speaks to this. It speaks to the very existence and the very essence of what one is. It's the continuance of a previous state of existence. Here's what that means. That's just the definition. Here's what it means in layman's terms. Jesus was and Jesus is the very essence of God. He always was and he always is. He always was, was he? If you were to read the Greek of 1 John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1. Jesus has always been God. He is God. He didn't all of a sudden become God. He has always existed before the foundation of time. That's what Paul says. Why is this so important in the Christmas story? Why is this important to the Philippian church trying to understand how to live for Christ? Because you've got to get a portrait of Jesus so you can live for Jesus. Contrary to many false teachings about Jesus, Jesus didn't somehow achieve deity in the progress of his life. He is not similar to God. He is God. When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary through the work of the Holy Spirit, he always was God. 
He just took on flesh. Just. We'll get to that here in a little bit. This is so important, follower of Christ. This is so important because Jesus is God. He can accomplish all that he came to accomplish. Namely, to die on the cross for sinners and rise from the dead. Only God can do that. So go back to the verse again. We see another claim of his divine nature. Not only was he in the form of God or being God, he, it says he did, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, even the Jews condemned Jesus and accused him of blasphemy because he made a claim that he was equal to God. That's what he is. For anyone to think that Jesus did not claim that he was God wasn't listening or hasn't been reading the word of God. Jesus always claimed to be God. The word equal here has the idea of being equal to in quality and in quantity. That means, here's what this means. Because Jesus is God, Jesus possesses the same divine nature that God the Father possesses. And he possesses an equal amount of the Godhead. So what does that mean? Well, we'll get to here a little bit in the humanity. But in context, what Paul is writing is to the believers is this. Jesus is the greatest example to all of us who want to live for Christ as what it means to walk in humility. He is God. He stooped down to his creation to save them. Jesus is God. We talk about that in the Christmas story. We talk about this uh, uh, hypostatic union, which is that he's 100% God and 100% man. How do you explain that? Well, it's hard to explain, but he's God. Fully God. Jesus said this, by the way, numerous times. I'll just point out one example in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus wasn't killed because he was a revolutionary. He was killed because he claimed to be God in the flesh. This is why the Jews killed him. We have to get a grip of how important this statement of deity is this divine nature of Jesus taking on flesh, God taking on flesh, so that we can understand the perspective of what genuine humility looks like for the believer in Christ. Paul wants us to have the mindset of Christ, to know that God took on flesh should cause us 
to respond. And we will have an application to this here in a little bit. But what's the second preview? Well, we know his divinity or, or his uh, deity. We know his divine nature. Jesus is God. But he also, Paul writes, about his humanity. Again, this is very common to a believer. This is very common to anybody who celebrates Christmas. But we really have to get a grip of the truth and reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So the second thing is his humanity. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Paul writes, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yes, Jesus is God. He possesses all of the divine nature of God the Father, but we cannot consider Jesus without considering his humanity. He was fully God and fully man. That's what the scripture tells us. The phrase here, emptied himself, or some translations say, made himself of no reputation. The word emptying means this. It means he willingly laid aside his divine prerogatives. That's what emptying means. Jesus, being fully God, having all of the divine nature of God the Father, willingly set aside his divine qualities. So, for example, he he chose to lay aside his omnipresence. Omnipresence just means that God can be anywhere at all times. Jesus, by taking on flesh, laid aside that divine nature and he was subjected to one place at one time. That's just one of the examples. Jesus came as a humble baby. What does that mean? Well, the creator of the universe was now dependent on humans To feed him. That's humble. God created the very things he was going to be fed with. And yet he became dependent on the very people he came to save. Why is this necessary? Why did Jesus have to become a man? Why did Christ... Jesus, lay aside his glory that he possessed in heaven from all eternity in exchange for a robe of flesh. You know why? It's simple. We are the reason why. We are the reason why he took on flesh. He came because sin entered our hearts. Because sin entered the hearts of all humanity. All are lost in sin and need to be reconciled to God. There was a breakdown in the Garden of Eden. 
and the relationship between man and God needed to change. There needed to be a mediator. There had to be a sacrifice for the sins that have been committed. In and of ourselves, we cannot have any hope of redemption. We can have no hope of reconciliation with God. We all stand condemned because of our sin. We all stand eternally separated from God because of our sin. We can never achieve holiness that is absolutely needed to secure the debt that we owe. There had to be one who was worthy. Jesus was that one. He came to become sin for us. He came to take our place. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, great verse, he says, for our sake, our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's the transaction. We give God our sin. He gives us his perfection so that we can be made right with God. Do you see why the Christmas story is not just something to be celebrated on Christmas, but it should be for a believer every single day? Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This very Son of God, God in the flesh, humbled himself and submitted to a death for all of mankind that would put their trust in him. He was not forced to bear a cross. He was not forced to die for our sins. He willingly gave his life for us. We are reminded, the Philippian church, uh, every Christmas we are reminded that this death that Jesus would die was not an ordinary death. Jesus died a death on a cross. Nothing compares to the suffering and the misery of dying on a cross. It is the cruelest means of execution ever devised. And Jesus bore that for us. He suffered the pain and the misery so that we wouldn't have to. His deity, his humanity. And the final point of our Christmas preview is Jesus' exaltation. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These remaining verses... They don't give us the idea that there was a defeat at the cross. These verses in 9 through 11 reveal that Jesus conquered all of our enemies. He defeated all of our foes. And he is risen to a place of exaltation. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted. The word exalted means to, to be put at the highest rank. The highest rank of power to raise to supreme majesty. That's what that word means. There is no one that compares to Jesus. He was crucified upon that cross. He was placed in that borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended back to God the Father, where he is now seated at the right hand of God. He is exalted. Jesus possesses the highest rank, the place of supreme majesty. Does he in your life? Or is he just being tagged along? Look at Revelation chapter 5. Listen to how the, 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 the Apostle John sees this as the things come to an end. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, he's speaking of Jesus, a scroll written written on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep. This is John speaking. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. But one of the elders said to John, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is worthy. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. As though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is Jesus. He is highly exalted. Look at verse 9 again. It's a name that is above every other name. The name of Jesus. It is a name we should love to hear. It's a name we should 
never be, pro, we should never be embarrassed to proclaim. It's the sweetest name on earth. It's the name that brings hope to those of you who are struggling. It's the name that brings hope when you feel alone. It's the name that declares salvation. It's the name that strikes fear in the heart of Satan and the demons. It's a name that proclaims victory to everyone who puts their faith and trust in him. My friends, the name of Jesus. Look at verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There is coming a day that Jesus will be presented as King of kings and Lord of lords. And at that moment, every single knee will bow in humble recognition of his power and his authority. People have rejected him, mocked him, but there is coming a day when all will bow to him. All who have ever lived will bow to Jesus. From the richest and the most powerful to the poorest and the weak, all are going to bow to Jesus. What about you? Will you do it on this side of eternity or will you do it on the other? Will you do it as one who is proclaiming what Jesus has done for you? He died on the cross for your sins or will you in utter anguish be separated from a holy God knowing you never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because you will bow for the rest of eternity. Make no mistake, that day is coming. Many have refused his gift of salvation. He is despised by many in this world. But one day, Everyone who has refused to submit to him as Lord in their life will proclaim Jesus alone has the power to save. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, there is no salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which you must be saved. You are not getting to heaven because you're a good person. You are not going to heaven because you're here at church this morning. You are not going to heaven because you were baptized as a baby. You are not going to heaven because of anything you've done. You can only go to heaven trusting in what he has done. He died for your sins. And the greatest of sins is your unbelief that he is enough this morning. Put your faith and trust in him. 
The Christmas story is meant for those who know him to celebrate it every day. Not just on Christmas time. So what's our application? Well, then here's the Christmas. Go back. There's the Christmas preview. Write it down. Those are things you can circle and read in the future as you come past this passage again. But what's our application? Well, I got three things. First of all, Paul wants you and I, as followers of Jesus, to continue to look at Jesus. Look at his example. Paul is challenging the believers in Philippi. In light of what Christ did, God taking on flesh. Go back to Philippians 2 verses 3 through 5. That's the context we talked about last week. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And then verse 5, which is the beginning of our passage this morning. Have this mindset, have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and describes the very things I described this morning. How unbelievable our Savior is. So Paul challenges us. The first thing is his divine nature teaches us. What, is it, what does his divine nature teach you and I? Well, here's what it teaches us. We'll come back to that one. Stay up on the, stay up on the three sections. Okay. His divine nature teaches us to be selfless. Remember we talked about it? He emptied himself. If you're a believer in Christ that thinks you have a right to do anything because of who you are or what you've done, anything and everything you receive or will ever receive is from the Lord. You are only a steward of the gifts that God has given you. So be humble. Be like Jesus, who could and had all of the divine attributes of God and yet laid them aside for you and I. The second thing, his humanity teaches us to be a servant. The word says that he, he became or came as a bond servant. So his humanity, not only does his divine nature teach us uh, to be selfish, but his humanity teaches us to be a continual servant. He came as a bond servant. Serve somebody. Serve your spouse. Serve your kids, serve your neighbors, serve your friends, serve your coworkers, serve them. So that you could be more like Jesus. Mark 10, 45 says this, Jesus, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. His humanity teaches us to be a servant. If this is all about you, 
you are missing a big aspect of letting Jesus work through you. Doesn't Jesus say it's better to give than to receive? Isn't Jesus the example of Christmas all about him giving himself? And then finally, we learn his, his exaltation, those verses in 9 through 11, his exaltation teaches us to point everyone to Jesus. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Our purpose, follower of Jesus Christ, our purpose is to point people to Jesus. Don't make it more complicated than that. The purpose of a believer's life is to point people to Jesus. How do you do that? As you become a learner of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, you point people to Jesus. Because only Jesus can change a life. You know, we teach all these moral things. Well, you got to be moral. You got to do all the, you know, I, I love our schools and all those things, but they always put up the five pillars or seven pillars, however many pillars of moral whatevers. I mean, I get it. And, you know, they're trying. But to me, morality apart from Jesus is an absolute waste of time. All you're teaching people to do is be a Pharisee. Morality without Jesus is foolishness. We who know Jesus absolutely want to live in morality and holiness because we live from gratitude. We live for the purpose of exaltation of Jesus our Lord and our Savior. We can do that in numerous ways. Living out your faith, but you do it also by repenting of your sins as you commit them. Because none of us in here are perfect, right? So what Jesus teaches us, uh, teaches us is that he has forgiven us of our sins and it's sin that is destroying our joy. So live for him. Listen, our purpose is to point people to Jesus. So what's your next step in doing that? When you walk out of here, your application should be, well, if Jesus, if it's all about Jesus, how is my life going to reflect my faith in Jesus tomorrow? What's my next step? Maybe for some of you it is, like Darren mentioned, a baptism. Maybe you finally realize by not proclaiming what Jesus has done for you, you no longer are allowing what people think about you or what they're going to say about you. You only want to make most of Jesus. Well, that'd be a good thing to do. And what a blessing you will receive. Maybe your next thing is that you need to tell somebody about this Jesus you put your faith in. Maybe you need to begin to pray for that family member or that coworker or that friend that doesn't know Jesus and you're so afraid to step on their toes or you're so afraid that they're going to think you're weird. But that you would ask God 
to give you an opportunity to declare the truth of what Jesus has done for you with grace and humility. Maybe this morning, some of you need to actually be saved. This message in the Christmas story, it's such an evangelistic time, Christmas is, and Easter as well. But if you've been at High Point for any length of time, you know that every week I share the truth that some of you need to put your faith and trust in Christ because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if God has brought you here this morning, he has revealed to you in the truths of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And so the question has to be, what will you do with him? And I would say that the Bible tells me that you must confess that Jesus is your Lord. That he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. And then you can exalt him. We have a lot of application the more we get closer to Jesus. My prayer is that you stay close to Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reminder in Philippians of the greatest of stories. That Jesus, you came to this earth for the sole purpose of saving those who would put their faith and trust in you. To reconcile the relationship between God and mankind. So that someday we will worship you without sin. And God, that day may come sooner than we might realize. And Lord, I pray for those that are here that continue to wait. They're waiting for something. I don't know, Lord, but you do. Holy Spirit, would you prick their hearts Would they have seen the scriptures for the very first time in a new light? In the eyes that God you've given them to to understand the scriptures. So that they would believe in you. That they would repent of their unbelief and put their trust in you today. God, thank you. Your name, Jesus, is so sweet. And may this service truly be a recognition of what you've done. For it's in, for it's in your, Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said...